mercy and peace to you from God our Father and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does it mean to be sanctified? If we're dealing with the topic of being a saint and what All Saints Day means, we need to understand this term sanctified because sanctified, holiness, sainthood, and everything sacred is all tied back to the same answer. But when I throw out words like holiness or sanctity, a lot of people kind of just shut down. They already have maybe a preconceived thought of what those words mean, or they have no thought at all and figure it's just church talk. And it doesn't have anything to do with our everyday life. I mean, how many Americans could tell you the definition and meaning of the word holiness and actually get an accurate answer? Well, I think Americans are actually much more, much more familiar with holiness than we realize. In fact, I think we know it better than even most cultures around us. It's just we don't realize it. In the Bible, holiness is tied back to terms that the Old Testament would use to tell people about their worship practices. And it was described by a contrast between being clean and being unclean. Now, if you want to talk with Americans about something they know very quite well, it's cleanliness. It's something that compared to other cultures in the world, we're probably more obsessed with cleanliness than anyone else at any other time in history. How many times already today have you washed some part of your body? Washed your hands, took a shower, brushed your teeth. And this is just scratching the surface of what we think about when we think about cleanliness. I was watching an episode of Perfect Strangers. And if you've never seen that show, it's a story about a young man who lives in Chicago. He's American born and bred, and he's working to make a living in the world as a young entrepreneur. And his cousin comes to visit, Belki. Belki's from another country. He's from this imaginary island, faraway place with strange customs and ancient habits called Mipos. He comes to visit his cousin Larry in America, and then they live together. And so the story is about these two cousins and all of the strange situations they get into when two cultures are crossing paths. And in one of the episodes, they come across, uh, on the topic of germs. And of course, in Belki's culture, they don't, have a top, they don't have an understanding of germs at all. And so when they're talking about going to the hospital to visit their boss, Larry says, I don't think I want to go. I've got a big date tonight. I can't go to the hospital because of all the germs. And Belki looks at him strangely and says, what are germs? So Larry tries to explain to him. He says, well, these, these are living Organisms, these tiny little things that are living all around us. They cause sickness and disease and death. They're everywhere. 
pretty soon Belky's kind of looking around, kind of getting weirded out by the story of these tiny little organisms that you can't see. He says, I don't see them. And Larry goes on to say, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And they're especially at the hospital. There, there's lots of these germs and I, I can't go and expose myself and I get sick. And so Belky says, okay, well, I'll tell the boss that the reason you're not coming to visit him is because you're hiding at home from little invisible things that are out to get you. Germs were discovered somewhere along in the 18th or 19th century as far as microscopic science and infection was concerned. And so today we have this supposedly sophisticated, deep scientific understanding of germs. And yet if somebody in the days of Moses were listening to us talk about germs today, they'd say we're nuts. Or maybe they wouldn't. Now we look back at their practices in the temple, in the tabernacle, their religious practices, and we say it's archaic. It's these terms we don't use anymore. It's the superstitious, don't touch the mountain or you might get burned. And yet, the very things that they were zeroing in on are that mu- not that much different than the things we're obsessed with today. We just give them different terms and we don't embrace the broader scope because what is a germ anyways? When they talked about holiness, they talked about contamination. Now, maybe that's something we can relate to more. Pollution, corruption. How there are forces in this world that can corrupt, decay, and destroy us. And they can't be brought into God's presence because God is pure. He's holy. And so they had all sorts of ritual practices for how the people were to be cleansed, purified for worship. When they come to the mountain then in Exodus chapter 20, it says that they should be sanctified. So as we go into our sermon today, I want you to think about what does it mean to be sanctified? And we'll look at it in three ways. The Holy Spirit calls you to be a saint. The Holy Spirit is working to keep you a saint. And the Holy Spirit will deliver you into eternal sainthood. It's all based in the holiness of God. Now, a lot of people think of holiness as something that has to do with morality or being a super Christian. Others sometimes see it as a sort of pharisaical, better than you belief. That if you're a saint, you must think you're better than me. And even some Christians see holiness as spiritual power, like the Methodists. But in all of this, they're missing the main point, that the holiness of God is about what it means to be comfortable with God, what it means to be in the presence of someone who is more powerful than any of us, who is more perfect than any of us, who is totally pure and in no way can be corrupted by germs, and for us to be perfectly healthy and at ease being with him. He had to warn the people so they would be aware of this, of what it means for humans to be purified and comfortable with God 
And so he warned them not to come near the mountain until they understood what they were doing. And so Moses went to the people and told them to be sanctified. And so for three days they washed. And on the third day they came before the Lord. Now that washing is significant because it's symbolic of what we all need. A cleansing. In chapter 19, verse 6, he says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a sanctified nation, a holy nation. And it's centered around this mountain and the sacrifices that were offered there, where God said that they were going to have the experience of being close to God. Can the same be true for us? Can the same be true for us that we, too, would be welcome to be close to God? Well, when you read the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you start to wonder who could ever be close to God. Paul begins to break down all of the problems in the church in Corinth. Problems with divisiveness. Problems with false teaching. Problems with sexuality problems with immorality. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We work through this list to think, who's going to be left in church when he's done? Because on some level, Every one of us has been corrupted by germs, by sin. And he acknowledges that every one of these people have been touched by the same thing, sin. But, he says, the difference is this. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That changes everything. In fact, when Paul writes his letters, the greeting he uses to address the people, more often than anything else, besides maybe the term brother, is saint. To these people who used to be drunkards, who used to be sexually immoral, who used to be idolaters, who used to be greedy swindlers, and he calls them saints. It's showing us that through the work of the Holy Spirit, every one of us is able to be a saint. Every one of us is able to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be close to God. We can come to the mountain where God dwells, and he doesn't stay up on top with the thunder and lightning anymore, but he comes down to the bottom. He becomes human flesh and human form in Jesus Christ so that he can touch a leper and that leper is healed. So he can reach out to a blind man and that man can see. So he can tell a sinful woman who spent her life in prostitution that she is cleansed and forgiven. So... The Holy Spirit works to sanctify us. That means he calls us to be a saint, but it doesn't stop there. 
Because if you think that your life is going to get easier once you grasp this truth, I'll tell you the truth. If you go home and pray about this truth today, your life is going to get harder, not easier. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just need to call you into sainthood, which is call you to be a believer, call you to be in God's presence, but he has to keep you there. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to keep the tabernacle and all of its laws so that their worship would be kept true to what God wanted, so they'd be respectful and that they would have their sins forgiven. You too need to be kept by the Holy Spirit. I remember a girl growing up that I actually, we used to joke about because she would shower so much. She would shower like three times a day, four times a day, sometimes six times a day, she'd take a shower. And it was kind of a source of a joke because why would anybody ever shower that much? And I've come to see that there's something about that that goes beyond just OCD which I'm sure was part of it. I'm looking back on that thinking, what would cause a person to feel the need to shower that much? The only reason you shower that much is because you felt dirty. Now, who among us has not felt dirty at one time or another? Now, we don't just get dirty by going outside and playing, but we get spiritually dirty. We have experiences in our life that bring us shame. We go through things that cause us to feel corrupt, not worthy, unwelcome. If any of these words ring true for you, then you should listen very closely. Terms like sanctification and holiness are not unfamiliar and strange. They're very dear to us. Because these experiences of feeling unclean, feeling unwelcome, feeling that you have germs, goes right to the heart of sanctification. Because God not only wants to sanctify us in an outward way, he wants to sanctify us inwardly. Think of all the ways that our culture is obsessed with germs and cleanliness. Since COVID, I'd say it's ramped up a hundredfold. So that we always seem to be aware of this lingering invisible organisms that are out to get us. Some people are even crippled by it to the point of fear and anxiety that they can't go in certain places, they can't feel comfortable, and maybe they were always that way, or maybe it got worse after COVID. That anxiety, that sense of something is out to get you is is more than just germs. It's more than just masks and shots. It's a problem that we have, especially in America, but it's really throughout the world, of looking at things only in an outward way. Being so concerned with our bodies our physical health, our looks, our diet, organic foods and drinks, health plans and health care and medicine, but missing out on the deeper truths 
which is why Jesus had to address the Pharisees. Because at the time of the Pharisees, they had become so obsessed with the outward cleansing that they had forgotten to teach the people about inward. And he said, you wash the dish, and outwardly you make it look very clean and shiny, but inwardly, it's got mold. He says, it's not the things outwardly that make you unclean, like how you wash your hands and how you get yourself clean every day, but it's the things inwardly. Thoughts from your heart, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. Those thoughts that come from within us, those are what shame us and what infect us. And so he says, bring all of that inward stuff out so God can cleanse you completely. So he can sanctify your body, your soul, and your spirit. Yeah, the people of the Old Testament weren't quite so superstitious as we might have thought. In fact, we might be even more so. They were aware of something much deeper than germs, although it played a part in their diet and health practices outwardly. There was a reason why God needed to keep them healthy in the wilderness when you're traveling among millions of people. But it was pointing to a deeper truth. What it means to be cleansed. And so John says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, sanctifies us from the sins that we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us. When you come to Holy Communion today, the reason we take Holy Communion on a regular basis is because we need to keep maintaining that sanctification. The Holy Spirit needs to keep you cleansed and holy. Not because of your works, not because you're a super Christian or a super person, but because of his greatness and how super he is. So he welcomes you to come and take communion and be cleansed so that you can go home not feeling like you need to take another shower. And ultimately the goal is to keep you that way to cleanse your conscience all the way up till you are delivered in death or the final day, where the Holy Spirit will finally deliver you into eternal sainthood. Yeah, many think of All Saints Day as having to do with how great a Christian someone is, and I don't have anything personally against Catholics, but I don't want them to keep robbing terms out of the Bible and changing them, like, the word term Catholic, which just means universal, or the term saint, which just means a believer who's been baptized. They look to people like Mother Teresa and think that it was because of her greatness, the things that she accomplished for the poor and the miracles that she did that would bring her into eternal sainthood. But it's interesting if you read what Mother Teresa actually wrote because They've had to examine her confessions. And in letters, she didn't write about her greatness. She wrote about her struggles. Mother Teresa was writing about her own life in her confessions, she said, about her own dryness, her darkness, and her loneliness. 
She said that her prayer for life was at one point so full of doubt that it was like the torture of hell. Other saints have described the same thing, calling it the dark night of the soul, that believers, no matter how much they might look to somebody like Mother Teresa outwardly and think, oh, wow, she's great. Inwardly is a struggle. Along with Luther throwing an inkwell at the wall against Satan. Or Augustine talking in his confessions about his ongoing struggles with sexual temptation. These are the people we call saints, which means that every one of us falls into this category of struggle. Those who can only be saved because they're sanctified by Jesus Christ from their baptism all the way to their death. And it's at our death, then, that the Holy Spirit completes his work. So all the loved ones that we might honor in our church, in our funerals, those who have gone before us and who we look up to as a good example, and sometimes we see even bad examples, they all fall into the same canon. There were no miracles they needed to do. It was not a list of good works that got them in. It was the Holy Spirit keeping those loved ones, despite all their flaws and their sins, to deliver them out of this body in life and into the body that God is glorifying in the resurrection and all eternity. So when God says, be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy, he means three things. That he's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That he's keeping you in the power of the Holy Spirit all your days, even when you're not aware of it. And that he will bring you to the eternal destination. Where Revelation says they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they come out of the great tribulation, the struggle that we're all in with Mother Teresa into the eternal peace and rest that the Lamb has prepared for all who believe in him. Amen.